Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Broadcasting from the Leadership Academy Studios, aka my new basement. Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur the go-to plan for coaches, authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds to start, grow, and profit a business that you love. Hey, I'm your host, Matt Browning, and I am here again. You know what's happening. It's book release week. It's pre-release for the new book we're doing, Driven to Courage. And this week, I have another co-author with me for the book. Now, I know I'm always excited about every co-author, and I always say I'm always excited, and I am. I am. They're very, very good, hand-picked, amazing people. This one is one of these people and one of these stories that's just going to blow your mind. Um, As I sat back literally this morning and read through his chapter, um, I just, I just got stopped in my tracks, man. I just, it's so, it's so real, so relatable, yet so unbelievable all at the same time. So with me today is Brandon Lyons, Iron Lyons. You can find him on Instagram. Brian Lyons um, is a Paralympian. He is a business analyst in business intelligence, a top performer in Ertz and Young as a director. Um, he has been competing all over the world in hand cycling, not just representing our country, but just going in and, and competing in every race you could imagine in all different countries. He's been, even in 2022 this year, we we're just catching up and you've been all over the place. You've been in multiple different countries in the last few months, and we got you for a moment sitting down right here, right now in your residence in Florida. Brandon, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Man, you're always looking so good. I said just before we started, you got that the, the, the beard. The beard is starting to mature. Is that um, like I'm looking into a mirror, I think. Whoa. Yeah. Now, are those are those a little wispies, little gray wispies? Are those? Is that a mature man's beard? I think it is. It's a silver fox, but uh, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the, the years keep growing and I just keep getting older. You do, but you also get more and more ripped every single year. That's what's great because you are an athlete, man. And, um, you know, when we, we, we first met, you've been on the show before. So guys, Brandon was on, I think a couple of years ago, we had you on just to share your inspirational story, but catch us up a little bit. You know, you, you grew up as an athlete and you knew exactly one of the reasons I wanted to have you in the book is this you knew exactly what you wanted in your life and you had your goals and you know who you are, what you're creating. And all of a sudden one day, everything turns upside down. So catch us up a bit on that. If anyone who hasn't heard the show before and isn't familiar with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I, I love the title of the book, right? I mean, I kind of look at my, my life and really the way that I grew up, you know, very driven, right? I mean, that's the one word that I kind of instilled in myself from, in very early age until, you know, to where I'm currently at right now. But I grew up in central Pennsylvania, uh, had a, a pretty typical, you know, a- average life, um, you know, grew up in a great family and what um, was an ad, you know, multi-sport athletes, um, excelled well in academics. And, you know, leading up to, you know, my, my college time, I always had this dream that I wanted to make it to Penn State. I wanted to to you know, graduate with that degree from Penn State to hoist me into the business world, and that was really always my my number one focus, um, you know, growing up through that time. And 
when I had successfully, you know, been accepted into Penn State, it was a dream of mine being, gosh, only 80 miles down the road from Penn State. Um, a lot of my friends and, you know, close people that I grew up with were also going to Penn State. So it was it's just a, place a dream to be. of mine. Yeah. And it was, it, it was a dream, right? And I think when I, when I got there, that was just kind of the first, you know, I think major goal that I'd set in my life being, you know, only 18 years old at that time and, you know, seeing it come to fruition. And I think really just sparked that, that drive and that motivation that I always had. And it was really just instilled, I think, from, you know, my, my parents at a, at a very early age. And, you know, when I was at Penn State, I had such a, such an amazing time and had, you know, made a lot of great friends, but it really was about landing that first, um, you know, job offer coming out of school at that time. Other people that were, you know, grades, grades ahead of me, you know, were, were having challenging just with the economy and, you know, to be able to land a job at Ernst & Young coming out of school right away, um, you know, I was, I was extremely grateful. And I think that that's one of the words that I've kind of stuck with me for a long time, as well as just gratitude and, you know, getting that first job at EY, <clears throat> right down in the Washington DC area, I started to think that, okay, this now I'm making my, you know, making my impact on the world, and, and I'm going to start this next chapter, right? I mean, everything leading up to it was, I had this great support system, um, but wanted to be more independent. And when I landed that first job at EY, I was like, I did this. I was the one that got myself here. Um, and was and, just and, very... and everything is falling in line. That's what I, I love about it. It's like, yep, this is my plan. This is my, I, I can see, I can see five-year-old Brandon. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a director at Ernst yeah. & Young. Like you just knew exactly what you wanted and how you want to create it. And you went after it and you started nailing one thing at a time. But now yeah, you're that... Now you're in college and you, or you got the job and you got it lined up and you're ready to go and it's all systems ahead, right? Yeah. And, and that's really the way that I looked at it. My first year at EY, you know, I, I come into this firm that had, gosh, I mean, over 250,000 employees worldwide. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of a, a lost fish, you know, out in the sea um, trying to, gosh, I mean, now navigate this, this next chapter of your life. And, you know, Fortunately, was having great success at a very early age, um, you know, in very early time in my professional career, I was named the supply chain rookie of the year, uh, which was given out to, you know, just one uh, brand new staff consultant within the firm, uh, within our supply chain practice. So again, things were moving in the right direction. And I thought that all of my hard work and everything was, you know, being focused and, you know, again, just tracking and progressing the way that I'd always hoped. Uh, and really up to that point, never really had any, you know, setbacks or, or really any challenges that I couldn't overcome. And I, I think that was kind of always the theme, you know, leading up to this, but gosh, well, that's I mean, what you that's wrote about it in, in, in the book was the exactly that it was like nothing I can't overcome if I put my head down and I work at it, right? You just, you work, you get determined and you can get it done. But then you hit probably, I mean, arguably the most unexpected event or moment in your life certainly at that point and probably since then? Yeah, I mean, gosh, we take it back to, to May 2020 or May uh, 2014. And I was just a year and a half into my career at EY and was down at the beach uh, celebrating a friend's birthday for Memorial Day weekend and mistakenly dove into shallow water and broke my back at the T5 and T6 vertebrae area. So right around your sternum. And, and I remember, uh, you know, I, I dove into shallow water and I was, you know, there just laying on the, on, on the bottom of the ground and, you know, looking up to, to my friends who I was with and, you know, just looking into their eyes and saying, hey, I need you to pull me out of the water. I can't stand. 
and I, I remember just kind of like the shock on their eyes, but also kind of being in disbelief and not wanting to accept it and say, oh, Brandon, stop joking, you know, get up, we're going to keep going. And I remember looking to them and telling them, no, I'm paralyzed. I need you to pull me out of this water. And it was such a surreal, I think, moment in my life because, you know, everything, you know, came, became so clear. And I, I tell everyone during that moment, it was, I wasn't in a sense of panic or, you know, really being, really having any anxiety. It was almost like this sense of tranquility came over me and it was very calming. Uh, and I think I was just trying to wrap my head around, you know, the severity of what just happened. And it wasn't until I was pulled out of the, of the water and then I got in that helicopter to be airlifted. And, and again, the, the story continues um, just because as I, as I got into the helicopter, we were supposed to be airlifted to Baltimore Shock Trauma Center, um, which is a major hospital. It was about an hour and a half away from where I was. And unfortunately, the helicopter that came did not have enough fuel to get me to the hospital to perform the surgery. And anyone that has you know, gone through or has been close to any type of you know, spinal surgery or you know, any type of neuro neurological um, you know, impact, it's critical to get in, have the surgery immediately to, to give yourself the best chance for any type of recovery. Every second counts in that situation. Yep. Every, and, and irreversibly counts. Right, right. And I think at that time, right, I mean, this is all brand new to me. I do not know anything about a spinal cord, spinal cord injury other than really Christopher Reeve and Superman, right? It was yeah, really the first time you. and the only time that I knew of a spinal cord injury. And I remember being in the helicopter and this, this pivotal moment that had occurred to me is, you know, I was still fully coherent and, and with it and just trying to wrap my head around it. And I remember that the dispatcher in the helicopter calling, calling my mom. And I could hear her on the phone, you know, asking Brandon, what's going on, what's going on? And me relaying back to her, I'm paralyzed. And I could hear it in her voice, my stepdad, who was also there as well on the phone. Again, I think not wanting to accept it because, you know, I was their only son or only child. And, you know, they're not there to see it with their own two eyes. So they don't want to accept that their, their son, who is, you know, now successful and has this, this long life ahead of him. Um, is now paralyzed. And that's the last thing that I think any, any single mom wants to hear, um, you know, about their, about their only child. So I think that was when it started to sink in about, oh my gosh, okay, this is, this is pretty serious. Um, and, and again, it, it was just, I think, resonated again, whenever I woke up after surgery, being surrounded by all of my loved ones, right? My family, coworkers, uh, my friends who were down at the beach with me as well. And I, again, just to just to really bring home the severity and the impact that this injury not only is going to have on my life, but it's going to have on everyone else that's around me and my scene. So now you're you're in the helicopter. You eventually get to the hospital, to the trauma center. You're starting, you know, getting worked on. And what I keep hearing too is is this this perspective of this is how life is. This is what clearly is happening but then there's this huge crazy trauma this shock that I'm is unexpected by everybody and again that's the entire point of of how this story is 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 so inspirational um that is unexpected you're not ready for that but you were someone who began really changing perspective and I know it probably took some time right I know the tell us about the the interaction with the doctors and nurses when they're starting to tell you about 
like, hey, here's how to get ready for an adaptive new life and that kind of thing. And you're like, no, 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 I'm getting ready to learn to walk. I'm going to work at this. Talk to us about, I guess, maybe was there a budding of heads, a budding of realities at first? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because this was really the first, I mean, gosh, major challenge that I had to overcome that I was really, really took on face first. And I remember it, it, it didn't take long for the, I think, inner competitor in me to say, okay, this is just another challenge that I'm going to take on and, and, and really want to overcome and, and beat uh, yeah. just knowing that I had so much more ahead of me and everything that I worked for, I didn't want to, you know, let that go to waste. And I was very, I think at that time concerned that, okay, now I'm financially independent. I'm, you know, socially, you know, having a great time. I had this independence in this life that I had always hoped for, and I didn't want that to be taken away. And I didn't, I wasn't going to let this injury occur or, or really, you know, derail me from, from having any future success or, or really living the life that I wanted to live. And I remember the doctors coming in, gosh, we may have only been in the hospital for a few days. And this was the first time that they had come in to, to give myself and to give my family the diagnosis. And I'll never forget the, the doctor coming in and, and looking at myself and my family and saying, okay, Brandon, you only have a 1% chance or you only have a 1% chance that you're ever going to walk. And I remember looking over to my family and their eyes just being, you know, in disbelief to say, oh my gosh, I mean, he's never going to walk again. He's going to be paralyzed in a wheelchair. What's he going to do? He's going to have to move back in with us. You know, I could just see all of the thoughts going through their head. And rather than, you know, think that way, I, I immediately took that as, okay, you're giving me 1% of an opportunity that I'm going to be able to overcome this. And, and, and that was really what I, you know, grabbed onto and, and held onto from the very beginning. And honestly, still help, still hold on to today. Uh, that, that's been the mindset that has gotten me through some of the darkest times and has also brought me to some of the greatest times in my life because of that mindset of not letting others place limits on myself, but, but not allowing myself. I think everyone, you're your biggest critic, but you can also be your biggest supporter. And if you play that supporter or that cheerleader role, you're going to have a lot much more success. You're going to be in a better headspace. Uh, and I think you're going to have, you know, just, just better, you know, really outlook on life. And that's so good too. the, not just because I think there's a lot of conversation about not letting other people put limits on you, but man, the biggest limits that you can put are oftentimes put on yourself. And you make a choice. Okay, I'm not going to put limits on me. I'm not going to let other people put limits on me. I'm taking the 1% and I'm going for it. I'm just going to do it. So you start working on recovery. You start growing stronger. You start doing everything you need to, obviously. And you're the kind of guy, that pit bull, that you're not going to let go of the 1%. You're going you're to fight for it and you're going to focus on it. And dang it, you're going to win. So as you come out of, I guess, that initial trauma season, the initial rehab, and now you're moving into a season where, okay, I'm starting to adjust your, how long was it again, between, I guess, going into coming home and saying it's time to adjust back home now. It was a pretty short time if I remember, wasn't it? Yeah, I was only in the I mean, hospital. Relatively for, speaking. Yeah, I was only in the hospital for one month. And I think the overall um, you know, kind of philosophy of, of now the, the inpatient hospital is, you know, someone dealing with this type of traumatic injury, let, let's not focus so much on getting them back to walking, but let's get them back into the community and, and living an independent life. So yeah. I think the, 
the turnover now is is a lot quicker than what it used to be. I mean, gosh, talking to people that have gone through similar situations years past, they'd be in the hospital for anywhere upwards to a year. So wow. coming out of it really just one month and then coming back into your home, um, I, I, I think was relatively pretty quick. But, but again, that was such a, another pivotal moment. So many things occurred early on in my, my quote unquote recovery or, you know, c- coming out of this injury early on, uh, just because, you know, so many, it's, it's almost like I was going backwards to move forwards where I was coming out of the injury or coming out of the hospital. And now I'm moving back into my parents' house because I needed an accessible home rather than moving back into an apartment up in Washington, DC, working a full-time job. I'm going backwards now. And then that was again, more motivation that I needed to say, okay, I'm going to get back to work at Ernst & Young as fast as I possibly can. I'm going to keep moving forward because once, I think once your independence is taken from you, um, it's one of the most challenging things I think to, to get back. And I've seen a lot of people kind of go, go another way. Uh, but that was the driving factor early on was I wanted to be completely independent because I didn't want to be a burden to, you know, my, my closest, you know, friends and family. Um, and to see that, Hey, th- this injury not only impacted me, but it impacted all of them. I saw the renovations that my parents had to have for me to move back into the home. I saw, you know, this, the support that they would, you know, provide me to, to take me to rehab and have to leave work. So uh, it was it was a group effort together, but again, I think we all came to the consensus of we're going to take this thing head on and and we're going to try to walk again. And, and that was always the mindset early on was I want to get my independence back, but I want that you know quote unquote sense of normalcy again. And yeah, I just really just dove completely head first. Uh, pun unintended. <laughs> exactly. Oh, buddy. Uh, well, I want to do a shout out, I guess, to the folks as well because. Um, you know, I watched, I don't know if I told you the story, but my brother, uh, when he was alive at 20 years old, he got in a tragic uh, car accident with severe TBI and a stroke. And he, you know, became a triplegic, uh, for all intents and purposes, he could move everything, no paralysis, but it was very, very limited. And I watched, you know, as at the time as a 17 year old kid, I watched not really understanding the depth of it, but I watched my parents change their lives around and, and get a ramp in and, and, you know, do everything that you probably watched your folks do as well. So I just want to give a shout out to the families um, that stick by people's sides. Um, if, if you had to go at this completely alone versus having the support of friends and family the way you did, I know it's a weird hypothetical, but how different do you feel like it may have turned out? Would you still be doing the same thing, but it would have been harder? Or do you think that maybe you potentially could have gotten lost in some of the the, you know, the darkness or some of the, the hard times? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard question. I think early on, it's so critical, but I, I remember, I remember, right, it was one of the first times that I had a lot of my friends come visit me in the hospital. And I, I heard of this story, uh, you know, actually a few years after my, my stepdad telling me, he was like, I remember your, your friends came into the hospital that, that first day, and I pulled them all aside before they first saw you for the first time. And he said, this is the easy part right now. You know, this, this may seem difficult that, you know, he's, he's now laid up in a bed. He can't move, you know, over half of his body, but this is actually going to be the easy part. The hard part is once he gets discharged from the hospital, gets back into the community, 
are you going to be there for him? Are you going to include him in, you know, outings or are you going to call him? Right. And yeah, the rest of your life is the part yeah. that matters. Right. And I, and that, that really touched the chord when he, when he said that to me, because gosh, I put myself in some of those situations now, um, you know, as, as I've gotten older and as like you know, friends and family have gone through difficult situations and it is so true it, in, in the beginning, right. It's, it's on top of everyone's mind, right. You can see it, but it's, you know, being there, supporting them along the way, um, I, I think is, is the challenge and really what is the most impactful time. And I've been fortunate enough that my family and friends have been alongside my journey from the very beginning. So I don't know how to answer it if they, if they weren't there because they always were. Um, I think I'd still be doing the same thing just because that's the type of type of person that I am uh, and type of competitor I am that to, to gotten to the to the next part of my journey. But I think it would have been more difficult in the beginning, but specifically mentally, right? I mean, there are a lot of dark times where you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, why me? Or how, you know, how am I going to get through this? But, you know, seeing the support of everyone, it's, it's very easy to, to look at it on the bright side. Yeah. I think, you know, I watched again, I'm imagining what this could be like for you, not having to walk through that, but remembering when moments for my brother, when it wasn't as much, I needed dad's help to get in the car, although it helped, but it was the, it's Friday night and I'm here and I'm, I'm with my thoughts. And I really need someone that cares about me to pull me out sometimes. And what, what I love too, is you're this, you're the kind of guy that you are one of the most positive people I've ever met in my life. And I want to be careful that certainly like, you know, we don't, you don't define yourself by one moment that happened and, and something that's happened to you, but um, you define yourself by who you are, who you are as an impact to people. And you're in, just incredibly inspirational, not because of what you've done in my opinion, it's because of who you are. It's because of your attitude. You just are such a positive person, such a achieving person and such an encourager of other people. And I know you've been like that for a long time. I want to talk a bit about kind of that competition streak that you're doing. And, you know, you, one of my favorite, favorite parts, and I don't know if, I guess we'll do a spoiler alert. It's in the book, it's in your chapter. Um, but you, you were enrolled for a marathon. You were registered for a marathon because you're an athlete, because you're an achiever, because you're a competitor. And, and the marathon is several months down the road. You enroll in it before the accident. And now the marathon dates are coming up. Talk to us a bit about your attitude going up to there and what kind of changes you made and, and how and why and just anything you want to share about it. Sure. Yeah. So, so as you mentioned, Gosh, this was back in 2013, and I had just graduated in 2012. And pr prior to graduation, I was a multi-sport athlete my entire life growing up. Played football, basketball, and lacrosse, and then played lacrosse for a few years at Penn State. Um, and as I transitioned out of school and into you know the, the working world, I became a, I would say a a week on a really a weekend runner, um, and, and was more of an endurance athlete, moving away from team sports. And uh, I had come up with this idea that, hey, you know, I've always had on my bucket list that I wanted to run a marathon. And being down in D.C., there's the Marine Corps Marathon that occurs in October of every year. About 30,000 people come run it. Um, the entire streets of D.C. are just filled with soldiers along the run. I mean, it's extremely inspirational um, and was something that was always on my bucket list. And unfortunately, whenever the accident occurred in 2014, I was now just a few months into training um, and about you know six or seven months away from the actual event itself. 
the accident occurred. And honestly, that was the, the last thing that I thought about was oh, I'm not going to be able to check that item off my bucket list. <laughs> of course. Right? Had some other things that I was working through at that time. Um, but when I was discharged from the hospital, uh, this was the end of June. I was uh, very fortunate enough that friends and family put together a fundraiser for a hand cycle. And people that don't know what a hand cycle is, it's a recumbent bike that you lay down, you pedal with your arms instead of your legs for people that have um, you know, mobility issues. And there's one wheel in the front that is your drive wheel. So it's the rear wheel of a bike. And then you have two wheels that are behind you. So it's a three wheel bike um, that you lay down and pedal with your arms. And I, I was fortunate enough that I was able to get the bike it, it showed up actually the, the first day that I got out of the hospital. And I remember unboxing it, putting it together. I was really excited. And then I took it out of the driveway and it was so hard. I mean, it was the biggest pain in the ass that I ever had. Um, you know, it was just such a challenge of having to teach myself to ride a bike again now as a 24 year old, but using your arms, right? Something that I was, you know, not using my arms for up to that time and had just come out of laying in a hospital for you know, over a month. Um, but I took it out that first time and I, I was glad that I didn't give up on it, um, you know, one time and just kind of putting it back in the garage. I took it out for the second time and, uh, you know, challenged myself that I'm going to go ride 20 miles around this loop in, in Harrisburg. And around, went around this loop 20, 20 miles the second time. And I remember coming to the end and, and just, you know, having this conversation with myself to say, you know, yesterday you couldn't ride this out of the driveway. Now you just rode 20 miles on this bike because you forced yourself to do that. You know, what's next? And, what else and can I, I do? Yeah. And I immediately thought, okay, what about doing the marathon? And what about competing in the marathon? So I went home and I researched and I saw that the marathon had a hand cycle division. So I contacted the Marine Corps Marathon Organization that day, told them what had happened to me. I was a registered runner. Um, could I switch my registration over to a hand cyclist? They loved the story. I'm willing to and bet they didn't have a problem with that. No. So they switched it over that day and, and there it was, right? And it's, I think that's always the, the hardest part about setting a goal. It's actually, you know, taking that initial leap, right? And having that first step. And now that I'm registered now as a hand cyclist, there's, there's no turning back. And it was something that, again, drove me for, the, for those next few months to get to October um, to toe the line at the marathon. And Again, now I'm going back to, you know, I'm now lined up with, gosh, over 30,000 runners. I think there were like 150 hand cyclists that were there that day. And I, I'm now having that, you know, realization come back to say, oh my gosh, I'm only five months out of, you know, the, the hardest part of my life. And I might be able to check off this, this item that I have, had on my bucket list prior to the accident. And I mean, talk about a a sigh of relief or just this, you know, inspiration or, or really motivation that, that I needed. Um, that was it. And so I remember the, the, the gun going off and my family is you know, back at the starting line and they're tracking me via the app and they see that I'm, you know, 12 miles in 13 miles in and up there, up there towards the lead, uh, you know, the lead group. And then all of a sudden my time starts slowing down, starts slowing down. It's getting slower. Now I'm not moving on the map at all. And I unfortunately got a flat tire uh, on the front of my bike. And again, it's, it's the rear wheel of a regular bike. So it has all your gears. So now I have a front tire and I'm about uh, a flat tire on my front and I'm about 13 miles away from you know, really any support. And in these races, the hand cycle division goes off ahead of all of the runners. 
um, just for for safety precautions and just the the pure amount of speed. Well, it makes you know, sense. They're going faster. Yep, that the hand cycle has. And uh, so so here I am now stopped, and a lot of these hand cycles are passing me, and I got fortunate enough that just a a bystander who was out there watching the course comes up to me and says, "Hey, what happened?" And I had you know, told him I had this flat tire and asked if I could borrow his cell phone to call my mom. And I'm sitting there on the side of the road. I call my mom and she's like, why are you calling me? And uh, I shouldn't I you see, be in a race right You're not moving. And uh, I told him that I had a flat tire. And again, I think their first thought is, oh, it's over. Um, you know, just kind of relaying back to me that we're, we're 13 miles away from you. Now there's 30,000 runners in between us and you we can't get to you. You're going to have to sit there and wait until all the runners come through, the road opens up and we can come get you. Which is hours. Hours upon hours, especially being halfway through the race. Um, Right. So, I mean, I, I, and then I had to have this thought in my head of, okay, I can sit here and wait or I'm not injured. Right. There's still a way to keep moving. What if I just finish the second half of the race on a flat tire? And this was, you know, kind of that mindset that I had is, and again, right, for me to get here, it was not the easiest path, right? Went through this, you know, challenging, um, you know, set of circumstances, just had the spinal cord injury a few months back. Why not finish it out the way that, you know, maybe it was meant to be. And so I, I had the, made the decision to, to keep moving forward on a flat tire. And at this point, you know, anyone that's ridden a flat tire on a bike, you're not going very fast and you're putting a lot of effort in to even get the bike to keep moving. Um, so, so there I am going, you know, maybe two miles an hour down the road. And at this point, I'll never forget now this big truck with the clock comes right up beside me and then gets in front of me and portrays back to me, the Ethiopians are coming. <laughs> I remember looking at his eyes and just turning around on the bike. And now the elite of the elite runners are now passing me. Which are always from Ethiopia. Yes. And, and again, Kenya. Right. And it could have been very discouraging, right, at that time to now see people on two legs running right past me. Um, but again, I just kind of just laughed it up and said, okay, we're going to finish this, you know, one way or the other. And you, you, you finish the race going up this small little hill um, to the Iwo Jima statue. And there I had family and friends with, with shirts on that said Iron Lions. My mom actually had a, a cutout, um, you know, bucket list sign that the first item that read across the top saying, you know, finish the marathon. So I wow. you know, get through the finish line, get the medal, and I'm able to check mark that. And, and again, that was the driving force that, you know, reinstilled back into my mind that's you know regardless of what's going to happen in your life everyone's going to deal with challenges everyone's going to deal with adversity you know life is not easy right but there's always a way to overcome it and and you just have to adapt to what this new normal day new normal may may be right it's not always about you know getting to the it's not always really about the finish line but it's really about the process of getting to the finish line and I, that was one of the things that I learned from that event and, and honestly really, you know, catapulted me into this, you know, reinvention of, of my life and really my mindset moving forward. 
you know, Brandon, that that story too of the flat tire almost took me out, but it's not going to. That like to me, that's and that's what you write about the power of perspective, and to have a spinal cord injury and then to think for a moment, am I going to let a flat tire end my goal? It's like it seems so absurd when you put it in perspective, doesn't it? And but yet I could understand. I could imagine if I was on the. I don't know if I would have finished. I'd imagine I'm on the side of the road crying and woe is me. And what am I going to do now? And oh, well, I guess I'll wait it out and have a beer when I finish. But no, like you finished the race and that was your first of what would turn into many, many races. I'm just, I always, whenever we chat, I always go onto your Instagram because it's a cool place to hang out. Um, little plug is iron.lions, L-Y-O-N-S. So if you check out Brandon Lions or Iron Lions on Insta, um, you'll actually see there's some good pictures of exactly what a, a hand cycle looks like exactly what these races are. There's actually a few really cool pictures. It looks like the starting line of a race. Um, first of two world cups. Whoa. And you're in Germany here, 52 kilometer road race. And it's just as far as the eye can see in the photo, man, it's just hand cyclist bike after bike after bike. I can imagine just roaring down the road. What, how intense that must be. Um, do you ever get, I don't know, like, do you still get your heart racing at the beginning of a race? Are you still like, I can't believe this is happening or has it a little bit become old hat? Let's, you know, let's do this. I know what to expect. What's it like when you're about to start a race these days? Yeah, I think the adrenaline's always there and the competitive spirit's always there. So I am one that gets, I think, very excited. Uh, people that know me, that they may not see it from the way I'm acting, but internally I'm, I'm extremely excited i may come off as like very cool calm and collective but again a lot of that's just putting on the show too right for my competitors to say oh, he's got nothing to worry about um, but no definitely still extremely amped up and ready to go and it, it's just crazy to look back that you know that that first marathon that occurred gosh just a few months after i was hurt to then fast forward three years from that day and, you know, wearing a team USA Jersey for the first time and becoming a, a full-time resident athlete at the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs. So again, it's just, I think the hard work and everything that went into it. Um, but again, I, I, I owe so much back to that marathon of saying, I'm not going to let this, you know, quit or, or derail, you know, what I want to achieve from it. And that was my first taste of what, you know, competition looked like post the injury. Um, I didn't even know there was this, you know, elite competitive side for, for the Paralympics and an opportunity with Team USA, you know, at that time. But fortunately enough, you know, they, they found, found out who I was. And um, gosh, I mean, three years later, the crazy part about my story, I tell so many folks is I was injured May 24th, 2014. And the first day that I moved into the training center was May 24th, 2017. So the exact same day that I was injured, but just three years later. Three years to the day, which feels unbelievably short when you recount it on a radio show, but it feels, I'm sure, a little different to live it out. Brandon, you, again, inspirational man by far. Um, you, you speak, you write, uh, you work an incredible full-time career that you're super proud of, and you should be, um, and you somehow find time to travel the world and compete at the highest levels in hand cycling and you competed for uh, team USA and so many other things. Um, you know, there's still a few 
bits and pieces we haven't gotten into that we're going to save for the book. It's in the chapter. There's some parts of your story that, again, I think you'll have some bits that make you laugh, some bits that make you cry. We didn't reveal everything to you here on the interview, um, but make sure you pick up a copy of the pre-order book. You can get Brandon's story in it, and he has some incredible, powerful teachings on the power of perspective. And again, I'm, I'm so grateful to, of the contributors to the book. You're the one, based on your attitude and your story, that chose the power of perspective, because I can't think of someone who has a, a better perspective on perspective, right? Love it. Yeah, very, very good. So make sure you grab that. You can go to driventocourage.com slash presale. And if you get the book before July 15th, just in a little while here, um, you get a bunch of bonuses. You're going to get uh, gifts from every single one of the authors. We're thousands. You get to come hang out in California with me and lots of the authors speaking uh, and at an event called Success Revolution. It's a two-day live event in August, all about taking back control of your brain, taking control of your life, moving forward in life into your future. And that's what we need right now coming out of this last crazy season. Plus, you get the ebook. Plus, you get the audio book. Plus, you get the physical book shipped as soon as it gets released August 1st. All that is 20 bucks. It includes shipping. Go to driventocourage.com. Grab the pre-sale. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. And you get to hang out with people like Iron Brandon Lyons himself right here. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show again and making the time. I know you're a very busy man. Really appreciate you. And looking forward to catching up again soon, my friend. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Absolutely. Hey, that's the show for this week. Hope you enjoyed uh, my interview in the time with Brandon Lyons. I always, always do. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. Remember to get the book while we're on presale. We're taking care of you with unbelievable bonuses. You want to do it now. Later, you can get it. 20 bucks and it gets you a book. And that's about what a book costs. But if you do it now, you get everything galore. Uh, we ethically bribe you to help us uh, with all the pre-sale things that you need to do when you do books like this. All right, that's it for this week. Make sure you tune in next week. I have another driven, courageous entrepreneur. And until then, get out there this weekend and, you know, stay driven. All right, bye-bye.